and welcome to yet another episode of The Dice Are Screaming, oh. a podcast brought to you in stereo, or by two people, something. <laughs> that. <laughs> the uh, cheap South Asian knockoff stereo. That's right. Of gaming podcasts. Yeah, where you can it says Fisher on the front, but you actually you just can rub it off and it says Daiwoo, so. Yeah, it's uh, not even Bose, you know. No. No, oh, and... You know, you're you're not getting into those like high end speakers at all. Yeah, but uh, speaking and of speakers, uh, we we aspire. <laughs> we aspire to be. I thought we perspire. One, one of those uh, better off brand speakers. True, true, true. We can only dream. But yes, yeah, so speaking of speakers, we are here for our podcast this week. It's Topic Tuesday, so getting things started. Oh, uh, we yeah. got we got uh, some topic for you tonight. Something timely, and uh, we promised it, and. We deliver, finally. Well, it's yeah, totally we still got to do that Buffalo Castle thing, but that's just sitting down, yeah. getting the time to do that. Nonetheless, uh, that is still on our docket, just trying to get the time to sit down between our games and get this hammered out. So we'll keep you up to date on that. Nonetheless, uh, what we got coming up here, uh, we also got some call-ins. Yes, call-ins oh, from oh, Jason Copious of, call-ins. Yes, uh, Jason. Of, I got to use the word copious. A cornucopia of copious. yes. Collins. I'm actually pleased with myself. I, I managed. We to got both out. Jason from RPG Nerd Variety Podcast and uh, Frosoth, the Sionic Platypus, appears oh. from the other to grace us with their thoughts. So excellent. We're going to start off with Jason. He's got a lot to lead off with, so we're going to just turn right to it. Take it cool. away, Jason. Hey guys, Jason here from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. So character backgrounds. I can't remember the last time I played a character with no background, to be honest with you. The closest I can think of, probably, I don't know, man. I, I played in a game of ICRPG Vigilante City, which is a superhero game, and I came up with a, it was a mutant, he was like a, a wolfman kind of guy, kind of like werewolf by night, but he, or, or man-wolf from Spider-Man cart. Or the Spider-Man comics, you know, where J. Jam- Jameson's son went up to the moon and became a wolf, a moon wolf or whatever. Um, kind of like that. I used that picture, actually, when I made the token. But I didn't really have any background or anything for him. He was just a wolf guy. Um, it was a one-shot game. So I guess that's the closest to no background I've played recently. The most in-depth background I've played recently would have to be play-by-post games. Like, I'm in a play-by-post game right now where I'm playing a halfling and came up with this whole backstory where he never really got along with other people of his age in the Shire, and he, because to me, a halfling's a hobbit anyway. But, you know, his Nana taught him healing herbs, so he's kind of a herbalist, and, you know, it, but anyway, it goes into this all background. So that's probably the most in-depth background I've done for a character recently, it, you know, is this halfling that I'm playing. But most of the characters I play in most of the games, just the way it works, and these are mostly online online games, are they've got some kind of background, not in depth, not pages of background, not even half a page written background, just a couple bullet points, and I'll spin that into a personality. And that's how most people I know play. So I'm going to give you a couple examples of that because I think that's the perfect medium. I think that's where we should be. And what's great is now a lot of these small press games, some people call them indie games. Personally, to me, the Black Hack isn't an indie game anymore. It's a small press game where, like, um, Tunnel Goons is an indie game still, right? But anyway, games like that, 
are great because those games give us they give you background information you can use, but they're just bullet points, right? So when we look at that, those bullet points, that gives us plenty of use. So the Black Hat, great example. You roll on the table, you get an inspiration. Um, child of political exiles, chosen as God's instrument, fought in a distant, useless war, sold to a wizard as a child, right? And that gives you just a little bit, but it gives you enough to spin into a background. And then you also start with an item. Like I had a thief that started with a still-beating heart. You know, and by being sold to a wizard as a child and have a still beating heart in his hand, I spun a background up for that character. You know, and another ex good example here is Tunnel Goons, right? So Tunnel Goons, you're rolling three tables, childhood profession during the war. So childhood, you might come up with Garden Acolyte or Wheel Rat. Profession, you might have Botany Priest or Library Guide. And during the war, maybe you went underground or you gathered intel or you fled. And that just little bit lets you build a character up. I The other night I played in a game of, um, oh, I'm going to ruin the name here. I always ruin the name. It's um, something, 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 something. I'll look it up. I'll tell you the next segment. But it's a space game. It's a real simple space game. And there really wasn't any background there except I knew I was on the run from a former boss who um, I, I escaped from a former master. So maybe he's a slave. But he's a human. And I rolled kind of crappy stats. As smarts as the best stat. So I made him, I figured, well, I'll make him a techie, even though he's a real bad techie. So this real bad techie in the game is Solar Blades and Cosmic Spells. But this real bad techie basically takes Steve Buscemi from Armageddon and Tim Taylor from Tool Time, mix the worst parts of their personalities together, and that's how I played the character. Super overconfident, he could do, you know, he knew he could handle any mechanical task. But he had low stats, so he really couldn't handle the task, and he did really bad. But he lied to everybody. So, oh, I got this. I can do this. And he fails a roll. Wonderful character. Great fun. And basically no background other than just, you know, you come up on the fly as you go. And I think most people do something like that. I don't think most of us anymore just go in, oh, he's a fighter. He hits something. You know, we all kind of play in our head some kind of background anymore, I think. But anyway, I think just having a couple bullet points to spin off of, is the ideal way to go. What do you think? All right, thanks, Jason. Wow, that's a lot of in-depth. What do we think? Well, um, hmm. Oh. Um, I think we did pretty uh, well covering our points about it, but uh, I think you hit the main topic, which is that there's uh, there's too much and there's too little. Too little, you know, eh, you can make up for it from time to time, I guess, but if uh, too much, you know, you, you just so it's like drinking from the fire hose. You just really don't get anything <laughs> except your face blasting. So, you know, your eyes just roll back, and you're just like, okay, uh, yeah. So, I, I see that you've traced out your character's lineage, uh, detailing ten generations of your family history. <laughs> yeah. So, what does this have to do with why you're a uh, broke, penniless adventurer trying to delve into dirty, grubby holes to achieve your payment fortune? No, uh, there is such a thing as too much, and there is such a thing as too little. Uh, although, you know, if you're in a nice group of hack and slashers, uh, like like we mentioned in the episode, uh, if you guys are just waiting for the hammer to drop and you're about to, like, we're, we're breaking this game off and something's, you know, keister, um, let's get our dice on. Yeah, you don't really need a background for a session like that. But there is a happy medium. A couple of bullet points, grow with it. Uh, you know, find a way. I like the mechanic story best of all. That uh, taking bad stats mm -hmm. 
and building a personality trait out of it. Just a wild overconfidence. The Tim Taylor-esque, more power. Ha, 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 I got this. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> well, we'll tell you when he wakes up. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that. I would totally do that. <laughs> uh, much to Randy's, uh, you know, torment here. Oh, yeah, no. Just... <laughs> I'm not feeling the best right now, so oh. I'm just... Uh... You know, I'm just here. I'm just here for support. I'm, I'm just doing my best. Uh, but no, no I'm. Uh, I, I think that it's it's incredible that you know when you give players a backstory and just some bad stats that what they do with it. And I think that is the most encouraging thing out of role playing a creative think where you just you know you take some raw numbers and a few abstract principles and weave them together to make a totally new. And interesting character, also woven with a little bit of uh, popular culture and movie lore or nerd lore, whatever you want to call it. Oh, and yeah. just kind of, you know, make it work. And sometimes I find that when I work for NPCs, sometimes the best way is just to, uh, especially, you know, since I hammer home prep work so much, I often spend a damn lot of time improvising because players just do the darndest things. Oh, well, I mean, I don't think he... Yeah, I don't think Randy could have predicted that uh, when a Kenku encounter resulted in our party's savings being stolen from us, uh, that my not-too-nimble-minded fighter would then spend almost a year and a half uh, out of game time, you know, and uh, you know more than that in-game, but uh, just a years-long character arc from that single traumatic experience of being robbed by Kenku... Uh, he became a full-blown conspiracy theorist, espousing a great Kenku conspiracy around the world, uh, shadowy in nature and difficult to trace, uh, and responsible for all manner of ills. <laughs> well, he wasn't half wrong. Just, I mean, there, that Kenku was part of a small group working for a cult of Zebekna, so, oh. I mean, yeah, you know, he wasn't completely out of uh, oh, man. his uh, mind. And I was in my glory when... Uh, you know, Kenku assassins tried to take us out, and I, I salvaged the remains of one. I could prove it really happened. It's all real. I told you, you wouldn't listen. The Kenku, they're everywhere. And now Kiri. <laughs> Some of my rants. Uh, <laughs> they could look like any of us. Any of us could be a Kenku. I could be a Kenku and not even know it. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, thanks for sharing your thoughts. That was uh, really cool. And uh, as always, keep the calls coming. Uh, we enjoy hearing from you. If nothing else, and uh, hopefully our listeners do too. So uh, yeah, maybe you can give some comments and keep this uh, commentary running on character backgrounds. Really like to uh, bring that one to you. But uh, also, as we mentioned before, Ooh, we have props on. Yes, we have the Sonic Platypus dropping out of the Aether 2. Um, talk to us. So yeah, uh, <laughs> with that build up, uh, take it away. Frost off. Gentlemen, I just wanted to let y'all know how much I enjoyed your Boot Hill episode. I've had a character waiting for someone to run that game for a while. The Albuquerque kid. You know, kind of full of himself, a little arrogant. You know, but maybe he'll learn a little bit, bit of something about life along the way if he survives that long. Um, there's actually a great Boot Hill module. It's really underrated from Zeb Cook, Lost Conquistador Mine. Um, I don't know if y'all are already familiar with that or 
if you're able to check it out, but I, I think it's the creme de la creme of Old West adventures. But anyway, great topic. Enjoyed it as always. Take it easy. Hey, Frost. Good to hear from you, man. I uh, hope things have been going good with you. Hell yeah, that sounds like a great cur- character, the Albuquerque Kid. Yeah. We were just talking about uh, how some of my early Boot Hill characters, a little extemporized as they were, uh, he fit right in with our old uh, gang. Oh, I always wanted to name a character after... A, I, I can't remember the actual name of the character in the show, but there was a particular guy, uh, <laughs> a gunfighter, in the show uh, Briscoe County Jr. Oh, yeah. That had two states in his name. Like, you know... Idaho, Montana? Yeah, and Minnesota Pete Montana. You know, yeah. or something like that. <laughs> Minnesota, Montana, I like that. Uh, for oh. no explicable reason. You know, people just wondering, so which one's he from? Both. Well, he's from the first one. His last name is the second one. You know, just, yeah, and, you know, comedic value ensues. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you're on to something there with the Lost <laughs> Conquistadors Goldmine. is really kind of an overlooked module, and it's pretty readily available out there still. Uh, oh. It's a nice, uh, it's a very nice module. It always kind of made me want to put some weird West in there, but uh, more on that later. Um, oh boy, there's some stuff from Deadlands that would just. Oh yeah, it. you did yeah, use it for Deadlands. Brains are going to the same place. Oh yeah, I did use it for Deadlands. So. But yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed the uh, Boot Hill episode. That was uh, a fun one for us to do. We just didn't touch much on the mechanics because honestly. It's been a long time. Well, that and uh, my impression of the mechanics at the time were that a few of them were clunky, um, in my experience. It just, they sufficed, but they honestly could have been a little better. Uh, they shaped yeah. it up better in the second edition. Yeah, the the, the segment system was, was all right. I mean, I thought that was kind of cool, but... You know, it did simulate kind of like the bullet per bullet or what, you know, you should be doing in combat rather than just standing out in the middle of the street blazing away. Like, hey, look at me. I can fire all these guns at once. Why am I getting hit all the time? (laughs) Because you're standing out in the open and everybody else is running for cover. Yeah, well, look at them, cowards. Yeah, And look at you. You're dead. Welcome to Boot Hill. Yeah. Oh, man. No such thing as armor. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean there's no armor in this game? (laughs) Yeah, that, that's the that's about the size of it. <laughs> Put on a suit of full plate. Touch me now. Bang! Yep, right through. Maybe it worked for Clint Eastwood or Yojimbo. Oh yeah. All right. See, now there's one worth homaging uh, in game at some point. When a man with a pistol meets a man with a rifle, the man with the pistol dies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sure worked. But yeah, um, definitely uh, thanks for uh, giving us your thoughts on that. I'm glad you like Boot Hill, and definitely uh, we will be covering some uh, some of the Wild West stuff. Uh, maybe I'll be taking a look at Aces and Dates crack cover on that I got in storage. And uh, maybe we'll cover that one sometime soon. All right, cool. so uh, we're going to get on to topic. We had a lot of call-ins tonight, so that did take up time, but we'll make this one well worth the while. So... We're going to do a little paying of the bills, and we'll be right back after these messages. And welcome back. So, you came here expecting topic. You will not leave disappointed. 
because tonight we're going to talk about Star Wars. Nothing but Star Wars. Oh, indeed. No, it's more like the Imperial March with us. <laughs> uh, well, uh, in, um, to be specific, what we're talking about is Star Wars role-playing games. And we're just going to cover, I think, pretty quickly uh, three of the big ones, which are West End Games the first. Yeah. Um, My personal favorite because... Not really... We remember it when it happened. Right. It, it came out at a time when Star Wars wasn't a real big thing. Uh, which was of the Coast, which I had but didn't really play too much of. I got a couple chances to play it. I never ran it. I don't want to say that uh, it wasn't a big thing per se. It's just that there was you know, like no video game presence really to speak of. Wow. Uh, the first three movies had been done. Uh, the next three movies had not happened. So you're right, it was kind of in an intermediate phase where the popularity had waned a little, but it was still yeah, it was still a beloved Well, fandom. no, when Wizards took it over, there was Knights of the Old Republic had been out for a while. The really? first and second, the second one came out, and they, and they covered quite a bit uh, of it. I mean, at the time the West End was released. West End was like 87? Yeah. So it was just a couple of years after Return of the Jedi had left theaters, and... Uh, there wasn't really very much at all going on at that time. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it showed but up at a little bit Star of a Star Wars role. was actually called by some people at the time a dead franchise. Oh, wow. Uh, hard to imagine. Well, you know, comics and other things would, of course, you know, because Lucasfilm was like, hey, I'd like to make some money off this. And they started uh, throwing around and people like Dark Horse oh. picked it up in a couple of uh, LucasArts games. But anyway, to get but, into cover yeah, the first the, parts, um, yeah, we're going to talk about yeah. West. <clears throat> We're going to talk about West End games, we're going to talk about uh, Wizards of the Coast, and we're going to talk about the newest incarnation with Fantasy Flight Games. So, we've already pretty much uh, dipped our toe in the first part of West End games. So, uh, yeah, thematically, it was probably the premier uh, role-playing game with one of the more ingenious dice pool systems around. And um, it used a uh, variable... They changed it a little bit through the additions of those, but it used a variable dice set code with your attribute, and then you had a skill linked to that attribute, and you could place adds, as it were, extra dice in that, and that would be like if you had Blaster, you know, and you were like had a four dice dexterity as a bounty hunter, you would have six dice to roll for shooting somebody with your Blaster, which was pretty cool. Yeah, this was a 1987 uh, brainchild of West End Games, the same folks that brought you Paranoia at the yep. time. Greg Kostikian. Yeah, Greg Kostikian. And worth mentioning, they also used character templates and a skill-based system as opposed to levels. They, they dropped yep. the whole level-based concept, moved that aside, and they focused on where do you put your time and effort uh, in developing certain skills. And the templates uh, had classic archetypes that were recognizable from the films. Uh, the brash pilot. Uh, you know, very much like first episode Luke right at the beginning before the, the force really kicks into gear for him. Uh, the smuggler. Um, the yeah. Wookiee. Uh, well, yeah. You know, didn't even have a name for it. Just the Wookiee. Uh. <laughs> it's brash pilot and the Wook. It's like a cop show. Uh but <laughs> like Freebie and the Bean, yeah, <laughs> or or any other two screwed up names. Some it, going Somebody. on in the background as they run through the streets of San Francisco, <laughs> jumping over the front of a Le Mans. 
<laughs> I'm gonna Steve. Those hoods were like like nine and a half feet long. I kid you not. Yeah, I, I you do remember the Lamonts. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, I know. I, it was beautiful. It's a thing of. That's why I said the Lamonts just didn't yeah. go for a Firebird. You know? Oh, seventy-seven Pontiac Grand Lamonts, stuff of my dreams. Now, uh, that was the first edition, and for those who had not played it before, uh, who had not played any science fiction type games. This was a new addition to the realm of science fiction games. And it happened to be tied to, of course, the Star Wars franchise. So it was kind of an instant legend. I mean, it just went over incredibly well. Uh, I thought. You know, my, oh, yeah. I, I don't recall anybody going, wow, that game is just terrible. That, that is just terrible. I never heard that. It had some mixed, um, it had some mixed uh, feelings about it. Uh, None for me. I, well, no. I mean, you were, we're easy please over here, you know. Um, now, uh, the big thing with the first edition, or the West End's game, they did come out with three different editions. The second edition, the kind of the blue one. Um, they did kind of codify things. They went into the Lucas archives and they actually thoughtfully, as a role player would, start to categorize things that just kind of been mismatched around or like, well, what would you encounter on a planet? Well, Banthas are all over the place. And so it became a legend that it consists right now. It's like almost on any planet. There you go. The Banta is there, ready to meet you. <laughs> now, why? Because it was just, a, you know, they could have went through a, like, traveler system with a kind of um, four-legged herbivore. Uh, oh, you yeah. know, you had the basic archetype to start with, and then you had, you know, various things on it until it's, you know, it's all alien and crazy looking. And, yeah, then, you know. <laughs> Eighteen googly eyes. Yeah, all over the place, especially in his butt. It sees you coming and going. And, um. You could, they could have went with something like that, but uh, no. they did break out and uh, start expanding the stuff. But they just took what was in the movies and they just went with it. And that was kind of the charm. And later they did start people like Timothy Zahn with the Heir to the Empire and some of the Dark Horse comics starting to build new legends, especially with what would be called the Expanded Universe. And that we owe a lot of credit to West End Games. They were The system was fun, it was playable. And also, uh, Greg Kostikian went through a very tormented process in trying to do bring clarity to the Force. How would you use this mechanic, which is nothing more than a MacGuffin? Yeah, this poor guy scrapped multiple plans until he finally struck on one that was true to the core concepts, uh, allowed for growth, and yet was not all-powerful. Uh, it was an enormously difficult thing to balance uh, for a you know game designer working with a treasured cultural icon, and especially with the movies, so, you really didn't get to kudos. see much what a Jedi could do. You get a little bit of look with Luke, you get a little bit of uh, look with Obi Wan, and of course Darth Vader, but they're guys with lightsabers, so you know that's kind of cool in and of itself. And so they worked really hard, uh, especially him, to try to put a system in place that didn't make. A Jedi, the super character, or it was a long, arduous road that usually entailed lots of study under a preeminent master, like Yoda, and other people uh, who had been versed in the Force. And this also uh, got more lore added on as they started to invest in things called holocrons, which were the stored essences of other masters of the Force. But... This was the single most thing. If you just took Star Wars, the first role-playing game, there's not much Force power. It's there, and there's an alien student of Force, a chaotic Jedi, which is fun as hell. Somebody, yeah, I loved the chaotic Jedi. Uh, it was 
Let's see. The alien student of the Force, the minor uh, Jedi, and uh, the alien student of the Force was a uh, nob novitiate level uh, Force user from a different culture that did not share the traditional uh, Jedi training. The uh, failed Jedi, so to speak, where, yeah. where they they kind of burned out at some point, uh, with only a portion of their training, uh, and then the chaotic or no, that was the chaotic Jedi was the and the minor Jedi, the, the person who uh, <laughs> the chaotic Jedi was basically a person who had sensitivity to the Force and had the potential to be a Jedi, uh, but it had no training beyond their own like. You know, self-help books. <laughs> yeah, they just tried to figure it out. They're just, so. they're just meditating, and you know, like I, I managed to move something with my mind today, so I'm, I'm rocking the force. So it was there, but so, it's not a really big factor. And yeah, it does not. It did not in any way imbalance the game for other players. And well, that's just kind of the nature of the uh, of the movies. You know, the force was just kind of there when it was needed, and then you know, it was. They didn't put overly much thought in it, you know, from the time from Ben convincing the Stormtroopers, these aren't the droids you're looking for, that we can be on our way now. And uh, you see, like, in the uh, prequels, where Obi-Wan, the younger Obi-Wan, you know, you want to go home and refigure your life. <laughs> Would you like to buy some dead sticks? I want you to go home and rethink your life. Okay. I'm going to go home and rethink my life. Where it's all around them and people aren't really alarmed. But hey, there's Jedi with lightsabers. People are like, oh yeah, that happens all the time. Yeah, that, which that, that was the the second series. So. Well, yeah, that's the prequel. So, <laughs> but that wouldn't, now, of course. Uh, then you get into Wizards of the Coast, and they, you know, Bioware had put out uh, Knights of the Old Republic and a couple other video games. Uh, you know, some, just some other video games have been around for a while. But yeah, they had um, been able to put together a uh, fine tradition. The prequels were just coming out, and so they were able to make good use of that. And, um, you know, um, they put a lot of effort uh, using the Die 20 system to, I think, pushing it right to its ends. But, you know, coming from where I was, I just really didn't grok the Die 20 system. It was really well balanced for what it was doing, but... Oh, I'm not going to take that away from it. Uh, it was well-balanced in the sense that the Die 20 system itself, the the classic, uh, you know, uh, open-source, 20-sider uh, style, it's, it's a wonderfully flexible system. Uh, but for those of us who played through the very unique and very uh, lively first edition, uh, or first editions from West End Games, it was a little bit of a shift of gears. Yeah, it just the, the Force powers were well-balanced, and it made sense. And it played well, but I just didn't, I don't know, I just didn't get the feel from it, because having a level-based system kind of threw me a little bit. Yeah. Because I could start a character kind of where I wanted to, if I wanted to be a bounty hunter or anything like that. And uh, But Wizard of the Coast did a fine job with it. I think that they helped uh, carry it on quite well. And especially through the troubles with a lot of the things with the prequels, and some of the people's expectations of what Jedi, you know, knowing that, of course, if you play in any of these campaigns uh, with the Clone Wars coming up, you know what's going to happen. Executive Order 66 is coming up, so... Yeah, if you're just eyeballing your DM the whole time, like, when are you going to do it? Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're not fooling me. I know I know what's coming. I know what's coming. So to really play the experience of the Clone Wars, especially as a Jedi, could it could be fun, 
And definitely playing a clone trooper could be a lot of fun, too. But you know what's coming. Yeah. Also very fatal. So. <laughs> but, uh... Hello, desert planet lifestyle choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Holy cow, you got it, you got it right there. And get then ready, we get, get ready to, you know, for sand in the robes, you know. It just, yeah. <laughs> sand gets in there. Uh, the, the kimono is, is uh, open, not by choice. So, um, the Fantasy Flight Games um, time came in and they used their uh, very dice system. Yeah, welcome to the newest... Uh, yeah, member of the Star Wars game club, Fantasy Flight Games, which, hey, they've got a terrific track record. Yeah, um, I think they did a really good job of pulling together the disparate elements. And to break it down, there's the M- Edge of Empire, which is kind of like what you would see in The Mandalorian. Of course, Mandalorian's taking place after... Yeah, uh, to, the- to be specific, what they've done is they've provided multiple timeline settings for the game. So that, you know... Depending on the player and DM's preference, uh, you can set the time of the game uh, as you see fit. Yeah, the Edge Empire is like right after, uh, a couple years after the events of the last prequels, uh, The Revenge of the Sith. And it kind of talks about more of an outlaw, periphery type, uh, colonial era, Edge of the Empire series setting where you're not really in the core worlds or anywhere close. You're kind of far and away with... Law is kind of dicey, and the Imperial grip here is very tenuous at best. May you know only see an Imperial ship, and usually, as Han Solo says, a bulk cruiser, only once in a while. Um, and then there's the Age of the Rebellion, which is your classic Star Wars uh, movie, right smack dab in the middle, and it's got everything you would uh, want out of that. And then the, the uh, Destiny of the Force is the next one. So I think they did a really good job of breaking into three eras, and you're talking about doing the. The prequels with the Jedi, uh, I think enough of the time has passed that maybe they can uh, try to make a temp at that. But their dice system is very clever. It's intuitive. And it, it kind of straddles both what Wizards of the Coast Die 20 system and the West End games wanted to do. Where you can kind of start your character where you want. And there's a level of progression out of it too. So building your character. Like with the, the West End games one, the first one, you got pretty much what you you thought you start with. I mean, you may get better. You know, you may get your dice uh, score up to like 10, 12 dice and piloting and you're like one of the best in the universe. But... Yeah, but it was no picnic. Yeah, it's a lot of work. And more importantly, you know, there was a little progression, but, you know, you were still kind of the same character. Here, you... you, uh, They still give some character optimization. Optimization, I'm sorry. Into how you... uh, play and how you experience so all really good stuff and of course the force users and the non-force users are divided equally in their various corners and ways um and again the game master is totally incorporate uh encouraged to incorporate uh or disallow force users if they so choose Mm. um at their whim because the campaign will say no jedi no no jedi no seats you know none of that ha but hey, mind tricks don't work on me. Only money. Yeah. And so there's a lot of that. Uh, all the lore that's been built up, they can just pull from the expanded universe, from the films, whatever they want. So they kind of have the best of both worlds. They're not really stuck to one particular timeline or one particular story. So you can use all three together to pull whatever you want. 
Ah. So, you know, you could use uh, Sith powers from the Destiny of the Force into your Edge of Empire to have a particular character like an Inquisitor Vane or uh, during the um, Age of Rebellion, the, uh, you know, you can have one of Darth Vader's uh, insidious henchmen running after you. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of room to work in the occasional lesser Sith if you're running a uh, campaign that does not have a Jedi presence in your party. You right. Know, there's plenty of room to scale the strength of the opposition so that it's not like the party is completely outgunned. They're just going to have to work for it. Yeah, you, know? you just can't shoot the guy with the glowing lights, uh, laser sword in the face. Yeah, that that just not, out. You've yeah. got to find other ways. To They're get not it. going down easy, but and that's the big thing about, about Star Wars that is fun. You get to play in the universe where Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Chewie and uh, Princess Leia are all wandering around, or Amidala and uh, Obi Wan and Anakin mm. are traipsing about. You can play in those universes, but you really don't get to interact with those characters too much because, well, there's a lot happening around them, and unless you want to get pulled into their sometimes tragic and dark endings, you don't want to be there. Yeah, stay away from Skywalkers. That'd be rule number one there. Uh, you know, just just give them a pass. Yeah, yeah but... Uh, <laughs> Everything goes sideways around a Skywalker. I see a couple people being uh, salty online about the, when I was talking... Um, good about some of the new Star Wars stuff coming out from Fantasy Flight. They're like, oh, Star Wars is dead to me. I'm like, well, wow, what a, what a harsh world you live in that doesn't have room for wonder and adventure. Well, I, I mean, look, I, mean I, I understand that there are people who are offended uh, by the direction of the films. However, uh, that's no call to poo-poo gaming of it. I mean, well, yeah, they were talking gaming, because you, of the films they're upset. And you like, can play out the things that, you know, what do you think things should have been like? Well, then play that, man. Yeah, you can you completely know? ignore them because in your part of the galaxy, something else is happening. Yeah, it, it, it's a game, folks. You know, it's not the end of the world. It's a, uh, it's a nice vehicle to tell stories and have fun in, and it's a kind of shared consciousness because we all see what's happening on the screen. And whether you like the movies, you don't like the movies, whatever, you yeah. can still say that uh, for the special effects, they are marvelous. Oh, that, all right. It, there's no taking away from that. Uh, you know, there, there's some outstanding features in pretty much every Star Wars movie that has ever been made. You know, there are elements that people were dissatisfied with, and there were elements that were just stunning to everybody. Uh, back in the, you know, like, let, let's jump in the Wayback Machine uh, with Mr. Peabody and go back to 77. Those special effects, I, honestly, nobody had seen anything like that. You know, we were coming out of the 2001 era of, was the closest, and, you know, yeah. those you know, those were shot in rather silent uh, frames with particular deep attention to detail to motion and character inside those uh, vehicles and ships. And George was very much uh, sold on that. That very much influenced him as a filmmaker. And you could see that. But also you could see kind of like, well, when they put the first Star Wars movie together to sell it to execs and show them that this is what they're doing, they had pictures of John Wayne in the flying leathernecks. Okay, they're bandits at 5 o'clock. You know, they just turned. And that was kind of <laughs> what they were doing to, show, to demonstrate, okay, here's a shot of the, the X-Wing fighters will be descending to the surface of the Death Star. And they'd have John Wayne, you know, up there telling them, you know, bandits at 5 o'clock. And then they turn. 
Yeah, I, but to, just to get the idea of a you know space dogfight into their minds, right? And that was selling a, to Hollywood, you know, selling an idea to Hollywood people is <laughs> is just like a yeah, talk about your visit to an alien world. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, the greater hive of wretched scum and villainy you'll never find. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, so I I, underst- I understand entirely that uh, Lucas, you know, really had to pimp the vision in unique ways to get it across. But uh, the surprise that people felt watching that for the first time is part of the love. Uh, the things that were innovated uh, are part of that legacy, and they have done a pretty remarkable job in the era of CGI. Uh, you know, of keeping up the tradition of wow, you know, just. At least a shot here or a shot there that makes you stop and go, huh. uh, there's never going to be anything like that moment in 1977 again. It's, just, no. it's not going to happen twice. You can't do it. Sure, but you can also say that right now, I mean, there's just this other movie coming out. The Mandalorian's out. Which, you know, for what it, take it for what it's worth. It's good stuff. Um... If you're not inspired by these things, you know, okay, that's cool. Star oh, Wars no. is not everybody's thing. But this is a great uh, genre to play in. It's a lot of fun. And I'd highly recommend anybody uh, having some time out to look at the... I mean, Fantasy Flight Games just put out a 25-year uh, edition of the Die 6 West End Games books. The Star Wars source book and the uh, role-playing game. Oh. oh nice. So there's, you know, there's a multiple variety of ways that you can play. A multiple variety of things. That you can, and ways you can play the Star Wars game, or game in Star Wars, more appropriately. Yeah, to game in the Star Wars universe, uh, I've got to say, point blank, um, even if people are not big fans of the movies at all, uh, there there are such creatures, there are people who were not big fans of Star Wars, Um, it is a terrific science fiction role-playing game. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it is a terrific science fiction role-playing game in its own right with a lot of background detail that can be fudged and deployed by a DM. Uh, you know, if you're good at filling in blanks and crafting your own stuff, uh, it's not that hard to splice some new material of your own into the Star Wars verse. Uh, plenty of room for experimentation, and that's the joy of gaming. That, that uh, little innovation can go along, and it way. lends itself to a pulpy kind of cinematic universe where there's fades and media in media rests and screen wipes oh. that you can all do to set the scene and tone instead of having to detail you know arduously hex by hex or mile by mile or uh, you know graphically through uh, hyperspace a voyage. You just you know jump in hyperspace and the screen fades and it opens to a new planet as you emerge from hyperspace. You know, it makes it for a very punchy, pulpy type of atmosphere, and it's one of the things that gets underestimated in Star Wars is that it's a very pulpy game. Oh, absolutely. And a very pulpy uh, cinema. Yeah, style. For, for people who are really esoteric fans, uh, you know, the, the history of Lucas's influences, or influences, the things that were inspirational to him, is long and varied. It's a huge variety of things that went into... Uh, his imagination and then filtered back out as Star Wars. So a lot of a lot of stuff that you can go back to the well 
and mm-hmm. try to make things, you know, yeah. fudge a little, but stay true to the You pulp. could really just uh, follow the ethos of a Western in space, yeah. much like Star Trek for Gene Roddenberry, a wagon train in space. Firefly. Star, Wa- Star Wars and Firefly are not far from following a, a kind of uh, Western in space ethos. And given the fact that they both have diehard followings, uh, it tells you something that a, a chord was struck. That you know mm-hmm. the, the Western style space opera uh, has a place, especially in the American imagination, uh, but in imaginations all around the world as well. So, well worth looking into. And, yeah, you know these are in any edition. Uh, it's a good game if you got it. I'll break it out and give it a play. Yeah, but uh, we're not going to diss the new version. It's looking sharp. Yeah, I like it a lot, and. Uh I wish I had more time to play, but I got my docket full. But anyway, I think that brings us around to where we started. We yeah. borrowed this without <clears throat> showing our heads up our tail ends. And uh, <clears throat> the snake devouring its tail. Yeah. Ouroboros, the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we are the Ouroboros. We certainly are. All right. And uh, with that, we're going to end it up here and uh, on a good note. And again, if you... Uh, if you agree with what we have uh, spoken about or disagree, just let us know. No, yeah, yeah, use the Anchor right. app, get a hold of us. Uh, let us know what you think. And, of course, uh, you can also get a hold of us on our Facebook page or on uh, Twitter. Uh, Facebook page being the Dice of Screaming and Twitter, me at Death End Gaming and... Myself at Magi Vox. Yeah, so just uh, let us know what you think and uh, keep those calls coming in. So we'll see you next time. But and until then, may, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.